change around my team. Yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have got a very fun episode to talk to all the news of the week, all the... It's been a hectic week in the CFL. We're going to get to some of that today. We're going to get to some of that next week. We've got a new coaching staff in Hamilton to discuss. We've got the second part of our free agency preview where we're going to talk about the offense and the special teams. We're going to talk just free agency in general, just a whole bunch of stuff we got to talk about. But before we get into that, buddy... You made an interesting comment to me after we recorded last week about bye weeks and championship games. And when we were discussing it, I said, hold on, let's let's pause this for a second. Let's do this on the show next week. So why don't you share with the rest of the class what your thoughts were and what you think about because it's the Super Bowl is this upcoming Sunday. I know people listening to this hate. Well, I won't say hate the NFL, but they don't like us when we talk NFL, but they just had a bye week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl it was a week off. You had an interesting thought about that with regards to CFL. So why don't you tell everyone what you're thinking? Yeah, I was just thinking, like, you mentioned the two weeks off before the Super Bowl. And I think it might be a wise idea to bring that to the CFL. I I just think that giving that extra week uh, for players to rest might benefit, you know, in the entertainment value of the game. Now, I know that um, we've had some very entertaining Grey Cup games over the years without the two weeks. But I just think maybe even, you know, to build up the hype, to get the players more rested from injuries. I think it might be a good thing. What do you think? My only concern with it is do you lose the momentum you gain from the championship week? What I like about it is it feels as if you turn the page from East and West final to gray cup and you don't really get a chance to like, breathe for a second like because i know and i know you're you're one of these guys i'm not i'm not calling you out but it's like championships mean the championship is means the most but there is something to be said about like celebrating a team that won their conference won their division you know what i mean like it's it is an accomplishment Mm -hmm. it's not the ultimate accomplishment but it is something i mean they gave a trophy out for for god's sakes i just feel as if maybe a week off would give us a chance to Maybe it gives us, like you said, with rest. And then I'm thinking from from like our point, we can take a week off. We can take a week, step back, and then we can kind of dig into these teams. Maybe we're better informed about what to expect come Grey Cup time. Because if it, don't you think that a lot of the discussions leading into the game is just, especially when it's like, well, last season, for instance, it's the upstart Alouettes and the juggernaut Bombers. And it's just like, well, the Bombers are going to steamroll them because we haven't really had a chance to look deep into things and like maybe there's something that Montreal does that Winnipeg like in watching all the Super Bowl stuff the last week and a half it's been a lot of like here's what San Francisco does well against Kansas City here's what Kansas City could do well against San Francisco and you're getting more nuanced discussion instead of just like 
well, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback in football right now, and the Chiefs have been to four of the last five Super Bowls. They're going to win. You know what I mean? And I just feel as if things get more nuanced, things get more interesting when you get a little more time to like take a step back and breathe. And I do agree with you. I, I do wonder if maybe giving the guys an extra week off would maybe heal them up a little more, and maybe we would get more. I mean, we, it, we can't really complain because the last three Grey Cups – we had 2021, which went to overtime in a tight game, and the last two came down to the final 10 seconds in each. So it, it feels a little weird to be like, well, but couldn't it be better, maybe? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I don't dislike the idea. I My only thing is, do does the CFL lose a little bit of the momentum they gain from having? Because the playoffs, that's when the most people are watching. Would taking a week off hurt them? in the eyes of, of people who might want to watch the games or would that not matter because it's the great cup and people who don't normally watch during the season, watch the great cup anyway. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds, about it. I wouldn't hate it if they did it. I don't necessarily know what they need to do it. I guess is I, I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. Unfortunately, I do get your point though. Like it's not, it's not the super bowl. You know what I mean? Like the, the hype is going to mm-hmm. be there for the super bowl. If they took off two months between the game, yeah. right? It might get lost a little bit, um the great cup might get lost a little bit in canada with those two weeks but uh i mean if you look back a couple years ago if zach claris had an extra week to heal his ankle maybe the toronto argonauts don't win that game you know what i mean so uh there's there's positives and negatives to it i'd like to see them toy with it uh maybe move the season even earlier so that two weeks isn't pushing into late november but uh it's definitely an interesting thought yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious when this episode goes out, what the people listening think, because this this feels like one of those things where you, there's going to be people who are like so staunchly against it and so staunchly for it. But I don't know if anyone's going to really know why where you and I are sitting here like you're like, I think it would be neat. I'm like, I, I'd be OK with it. You know what I mean? Like we take mm-hmm. the I, I feel like we'd probably be more we'd be more popular as a show if we we took hardline stances on things. But you and I, that's just not what we do here. We're we're rational thoughtful human beings so we're like well let's let's play with both sides here but i am curious to what other people think so hopefully this will drum up some discussion and uh who knows maybe this is something we'll see in the future i i what do you think i doubt we'll see it i doubt i i I just feel like the cfl as as much as we talk about the cfl as a league that innovates and is is at the forefront of things they don't change all that much quite frankly and when they do it's through gritted teeth sometimes so i doubt this will ever happen but it is an interesting thought experiment and i'm interested to see what fans maybe it's one of those things where i mean fans wanted playoff games on saturday and they pushed and pushed and pushed and they finally got that maybe this is something that if fans really wanted it they could push for too yeah so uh, if you guys are listening to this uh give us some feedback on how you feel about this at podskiwiwi on on twitter feels like this this might be a uh a topic for uh tie cats fan feedback over on patreon if you get enough yes, answers wouldn't it be absolutely that would be a perfect topic. always farming for content yeah yeah putting those plugs in baby all right let's get into some of the real business of the week and we can start with the tie cats announcing their 2024 coaching staff last friday some of the highlights of the announcement include scott milanovic officially assuming duties as the offensive coordinator, which isn't all that surprising and something that I think both you and I expected. I think we talked about it when we were talking about, wow, why haven't they announced coach staff? Why haven't they announced coaching staff? We all kind of worked on the assumption that a lot of it should be the OC. Paul Boudreau mm-hmm. joins the team as special teams coordinator after spending the last eight years in Winnipeg, replacing Jeff Reinbold in that role. And Mark Washington remains as the team's defensive coordinator and assistant head coach. 
The Ticats also retained Mike Gibson as offensive line coach and Jared Baines, who moves from receivers coach to quarterbacks coach. And they added some familiar faces, some former players to the staff, including Naaman Roosevelt as receivers coach, Brandon Isaac as defensive backs coach, and Michael Fletcher as linebackers coach. We're not going to get into everybody. The rest of the coaching staff, you want to look at who they are, learn their history. Mike did a a good job of covering it over on Podski Wawa. I believe I touched on it on an episode of of my Patreon show. But if you want to just go to the Tigers website, it's all there. You can look at it there as well. A lot of changes made to this coaching staff which was to be expected for a number of reasons, not least of which is there's a new head coach and that usually means there's going to be staff changes, but they didn't change defensive coordinators. It's still Mark Washington. He returns to that role for a fifth season. Did you find that surprising at all? Uh, I didn't because this late in the game, you know, I expected Mark Washington to be coming back. You know, we didn't hear any rumblings about, you know, the Tiger Cats making offers for this defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. asking teams permission to talk to guys. So as it got later um, in the offseason, it was kind of expected that Mark Washington would be back. And, you know, I'm not, you know, if you've listened to the show over the years, I haven't been high on Mark Washington, but uh, maybe with the correct talent, you know, they're they're trying to, Really improved the secondary this year in the offseason, and we'll talk about that um, in a later episode. But I think if if they get the right talent, then maybe Mark Washington can, uh, you know, raise this defense to near the top of the league. So if they could have gotten an improvement, if they could have got a guy that was surefire, you know, defensive coordinator that uh, uh, over the years has proven himself, I would have been happy. But Mark Washington is back. So be it. Let's see what happens. And that's the interesting point that you make there, because to peel the curtain back here a little bit, our initial thought for this topic before we we discussed it last week off mic was we were going to try to come up with potential defensive coordinators. And I don't know about you, but I did it and I found some names, but it was like it was hard to find someone who I would look at and go, oh, they're in an immediate exact upgrade over Mark Washington. It was a lot of guys who had previous defensive coordinator. It was like Richie Hall, who was kind of demoted in Winnipeg, but it's like, if he accepted a demotion, why would he then move to, you know what I mean? Like it, it was a lot of not, I won't say not great coaches, but difficult, like with the exception of Devon Claybrooks, who was the only guy who was like, I would really like to see him back in the CFL yeah. coaching. It was kind of a lot of guys where it's like, oh, it's it's Bob Slowick Sr., who I believe is on staff in Montreal, who was a defensive coordinator in in the CFL and in the NFL before his son is now an offensive coordinator in the NFL. So it's like it's, it was like kind of old guys almost. And it just there wasn't really anyone that popped where I was like, oh, this would be the immediate upgrade to make this unit different, better, what have you. And you bring up an interesting point. We never really heard any rumblings of the Ticats are have asked permission for this or, you know, rumors of they've talked to this person about it. So while we were sitting here kind of wondering if he would be back, it almost feels silly in hindsight to have thought that because there were no signs pointing to him not being here. So while initially I was like, huh, okay, they're not making a change there. All right. The more you thought about it, the more it kind of made sense. Now the question is, do you think this unit can be better? next year i looked when this happened i was like you know what i'm gonna look into the numbers because i thought the defense had regressed and in a lot of ways i was correct they from his four years here 
They've allowed almost a touchdown more per game in the last two seasons. They did in this first two seasons, the yards per game are up. The rush D is the one that really sort of hasn't been, that's where you've seen the biggest sort of downgrade to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Cause like the past defense, I was like, you looked at where they ranked in these things. You're like, Oh, okay. But then you looked at the numbers. You're like, well, they gave up more passing yards per game in 2019 than they did last year. But then you're looking at, well, were teams running the ball more because they were up late? Were teams throwing the ball more in 2019 because they were down? But it was it was turnovers, not creating enough turnovers, not creating enough sacks. And the run defense looked to be the biggest problems there. Maybe they're going to try to address those things in free agency. But do you think that this defense, do you think Mark Washington is capable of getting this defense back to where it was because his best year was when the offense was really good. And you and I've discussed this before that this is a front running defense when they get to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. Mark Washington's units are pretty damn good when they're in tight contests or have to get a stop late. That's when they've sort of made their mistakes and the numbers kind of bear that out. So do you think that he can actually turn this around or are we playing out the string here for a season before they make a move next year? That's my big concern with Mark Washington's defense is, first of all, the run defense, like you said, is dropping dropped off a cliff. And uh, is the late game decisions or, you know... Um, Lack of execution? They, yeah, and falling apart. And, you know, the, the second and 20s that seem to be made every time, um, it, it's got to improve or we're not going to be very good. But if he can benefit from a better offense... And let's be honest, we haven't had very strong offenses in the last couple of years. I think complimentary football could help the defense quite a bit. And our defensive line has been not good either. We just haven't been getting pressure on the quarterbacks. And if we can get that next season, you know, that would be a huge help. Get some experience in the secondary and then get some uh, defensive ends that can actually get pressure on the quarterback. And we could be talking about a really good defense. So, my only concern is the late game situational stuff with Mark Washington and the run game or the, the, the run defense. So if he can improve on that, then, uh, you know, everything's rainbows and sunshine. There we go. So speaking of complimentary football, the other big move was that we have our answer as to who's replacing Jeff Reinbold. It is Paul Boudreaux. He spent eight years in Winnipeg, seven as the special teams coordinator, four great cup trips, two championships, and a special teams unit that I don't know if they've ever been top of the league, but they always seem to be pretty solid. What do you make of this hire? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Do you think this makes the team better? What's kind of your opinion on this one? I like it. Uh, you know, Paul Boudreaux's special teams unit, it always seemed to be um, a good return game. You know, uh, a couple, he ran through a couple guys in the returns, and it just seems they'd be able to find guys um, to make it happen. I'm not sure necessarily about the coverage units and all that stuff. I never really dove deep into the Winnipeg special teams unit, but um, you know, he comes with, a, he comes from a team that has been extremely successful over the last five or so years. So I think it's, um, if not an upgrade, then, uh, you know, I don't think we'll miss Jeff Reinbold at all. Just be like kind of a level type of thing. Yeah. Like a kind of a step sideways versus a step backwards yeah. or forwards. Is there any concern for you? Cause I, I guess I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here. He was let go in Winnipeg and replaced by Mike Miller, who was a player uh, just as recently as last season. Although I'm not sure if he played last year, if he did, didn't play much, but he's a special teams guy, but they replaced the, they replaced him with a guy fresh off the field. And the head coach in Winnipeg, Mike O'Shea is a special teams guy. So any success 
that Winnipeg special teams has a lot of people wanted to give it to O'Shea. In fact, and maybe this speaks to me, I didn't really know who he was until the Grey Cup this year when I had a chance to talk to him. He came into right. like the media day thing and I was like, I don't recognize this name at all. And then it finally clicked, oh, he's a special teams coordinator because I like recognize his face. But I was like, I don't recognize the name. And that speaks maybe I maybe I should know better. But do you think that maybe a lot of the and maybe unfairly, a lot of the success that Winnipeg's had is attributable to someone other than him. And maybe he was just the guy who had the uh, let's put it. OK, the, maybe maybe the, the maybe benefits maybe the, of. Yeah, like he's he was the guy that ran the unit, but it was someone else's scheme. Right. This is probably a bad thing, but it's like Mark Tressman. Mark Tressman, they had all that success in Montreal. Scott Milanovic was the offensive coordinator, but it was Mark Tressman's offense. And Mark Tressman mm-hmm. was calling the plays. And Mark, you know what I mean? And obviously Milanovic turned into a decent head coach, and obviously he's a very good offensive coordinator. But you know what I mean? Like sometimes the guys underneath, they might have the title, but they don't necessarily get the recognition for doing the job mm-hmm. because someone else on staff above them, namely the head coach, has the experience there. So everyone's kind of like, Oh, well, if they're doing anything good, it's because of, it's because of O'Shea. Do you think that, does that worry you at all that maybe he, I don't want to say rode the coattails of an excellent special teams head coach, but you know what I mean? Like it, yeah, does that that concern you at all? Or do you think that he actually can do the job? I'm not overly concerned. I don't think they would keep him around for, for that long if he, if he wasn't any good at his job, but you're absolutely right to be surrounded by guys like Mike O'Shea, who, who uh, you know got his start as a special teams coordinator in this league obviously was a benefit for him but let's just see I'm not going to judge him too much um yet let's see how he performs with this special teams unit you know as his own type of thing and uh go from there so I'm going to hold expectations uh until the season starts and the good thing is he comes to a team that they've been churning out top tier returners for mm-hmm. 15 years you know what I mean like Thig Pen Williams Speedy, Terrell Sinkfield, Lawrence Woods, Tyreek McAllister, Lindsey Lamar. Like you remember, like there, there's been yeah, so many guys that name. have been. Um, Terry Grant was was a guy mm-hmm. who, like, not some of these guys only had a cup of coffee, but they were, they all had like return touchdowns. You know what I mean? Like this team has been able to, kind of just, it's been like a factory of return guys. So. He had some good players, Janarian Grant he had there, but he had some other guys in Winnipeg that he he turned into some pretty decent return guys. So perhaps, like again, I'm less worried. They have the best coverage player. Carthel Flowers-Lloyd is the single best special teams coverage player. I think he might see more time on defense, but he made his name on special teams. I think he's still going to play some special teams. So you got that going for you too. Like the infrastructure here for him to be successful exists. It's not as if he's coming in and this is bare bones. Like even in some of the worst years this team has had over the last – 15 years they always had killer special teams so a lot of we, we attributed a lot to jeff reinbold but we saw even when he left the team special teams was really good i'm not concerned about this all that much quite frankly i think i, I like you I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna wait to hold off on praising it or or not when i see what he does with the players he he has on the field if this unit struggles then i'll be concerned the only area that i'm a little bit worried about is the team did re-sign Mark Leggio. Mark Leggio was in Winnipeg with Paul Boudreau, and Leggio had difficulties there. Now, whether that was just he got in his own head or was something to do with the coaching, I don't know. But we saw Leggio here last year. He was really good, I thought, for the most part. So I'm hoping that this change doesn't negatively affect him, and then we're back in the, 
carousel of kickers that we've been in pretty much ever since Justin Medlock walked out the door. So if there's one concern I have, it's that one there. But otherwise, I'm like you. I'm going to kind of wait and see, give the guy a chance to prove whether he is good or he's not. And I think that's the only fair way to kind of judge this right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you get into some of the you know newer names that were recently uh, players like Naaman Roosevelt, yeah. Brian, uh, Brandon Isaac, uh, Michael Fletcher. I like Naaman Roosevelt as a receiver. Like, sometimes you see guys that didn't play the position as receivers coach or mm-hmm. quarterbacks coach or something. And I just don't understand that necessarily. But, um, you know, it's nice to get some younger guys, some fresh blood in the coaching staff as well to relate to relate to the younger guys, you know, they're, they're not old coaches, they're younger, so they can relate to the players more. Well, and I always think guys that ex-players, I think, are always good to have around. I mean, Milanovic is an ex. People don't think of it, but Scott Milanovic is an ex-player. You know what I mean? Like, Orlando Steinhauer was obviously an ex-player. Former XFL Mark great. Washington. Mark Washington is an ex-player. Like, you say former XFL great, I forgot about it. I was thinking more yeah, of a third-string yeah. quarterback out in Calgary, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. A lot of these coaches are, if you look around the league at, at the guys that are some of the more successful ones, Ryan Dinwiddie, Mike O'Shea, and they aren't guys who are superstars. You know what I mean? Like they were guys, like I know O'Shea became a superstar and a hall of famer, but he was a Canadian guy. He had to do the, you know, he did that extra work. He was on special teams, but he, you know, turned into, and I think he, you know, I think he was a top draft pick. So he was always thought of to be a great player, but he still put in the work and then moved up the rank, so to speak. Orlando Steinhauer, same sort of thing. So you see the Jason Moss, another example. Like I mean, you kind of just go up and down the list of most of the teams in this league have coaches that weren't immediately superstar players. Even Dave Dickinson, who became a Hall of Famer, was a third-string quarterback, then a backup quarterback, then a starter. So it's like these guys go through the the rigmarole of being a an end-of-roster guy, and I think that's what we've seen here. Brandon Isaac was a very good player. Damon Roosevelt was a great player. Michael Fletcher was a really good player. But they didn't come into the league and take the world by storm. You know what I mean? So they've they've had that where they've had to work their way up the roster. And I think those types of guys make some of the better coaches because instead of it coming – like I, I remember I – th- I think it was one of your shows you did. and one of, I think it might have been one of your fan feedback shows you were talking about – I think you were talking about what receivers to bring back. And someone mentioned Speedy B. And someone mentioned him as like a coach, like bringing him back. As a, and it's like, would he be a good coach? Like, can you, he's a guy who was just naturally like he, I know he worked his tail off, but when you're that fast, that's just, you can't teach speed. Like you either are fast or you're not. It's not like, I know you can like coach people to be a little bit faster, but it's not like you can teach, you can't teach four, three speed. That's just in you or it's not where some of these, like name Roosevelt, he was fast, but he wasn't over the top fast. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you toil away and you have to work on your craft to get the opportunity. I think that speaks better of you as a coach than versus a guy who was, and I know it's not the same as the CFLs at least, but it's like, Oh, there's a no doubt number one draft pick and they have all the skills in the world and they're going to be a success versus a guy who's just had to like fight and causeway there. I think, I think those guys can relate to the players a little bit more, especially young guys on the roster who are trying to make their way in the league. Yeah, and you see it in the NFL with, like, guys that were backups in the CFL that become, mm-hmm. like, really good coaches in the NFL. And you think of guys like Wayne Gretzky in the NHL, who was, like, the greatest hockey player of all time, but couldn't, you know, convert that into a successful head coaching gig. And it, I think it's sometimes it's, like, for guys like that that just have that natural talent, it comes so easy to them that it's hard for them to explain how to be great, right? One of the worst talent evaluators maybe in the history of professional sports Jordan. is Michael Jordan. Yep. Michael Jordan is a horrendous evaluator of talent. Anytime he's owned a team, they've made terrible pick after terrible pick. 
and he's inarguably one of the three best players ever. And most people say he's the greatest player to ever play on a basketball court. So it's just one of those things where some people can, and some people can't, and that's just the way. And usually superstar guys are, are to me, aren't the ones that are the, are the best coaches. So I'm with you though. I love when you get old former players in here and uh, kind of let them teach these guys that this is how I did it coming up. And this, I'm going to, it, it gives me and guys that like this, that want to be here in those roles. Like Michael Fletcher had a, I won't say a cushy gig, but he was working at the NCAA level. You get in at those jobs. You can kind of sit there forever almost, you know what I mean? But uh, he decides to come up to Canada again and we'll, we'll see what he does with the linebackers. I, I like some of the coaches that the team lost. I really like Robin Ross as a, as a linebackers coach, but I mean, this team didn't succeed the last couple of years and a change was needed. So maybe these new voices will, will bring about some, some better play from some of these guys. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, not a uh, new name, but a, a guy that's been around the Ticats, it seems like forever, Mike Gibson, the offensive mm-hmm. line coach. It's nice to see him back. And like, how long has he been with the org? I know that it's been off and on, but yeah. like, it seems to me like he's been with them for like 20 years almost. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember he was here when Belfay was here and then, he was gone and he came back. So like, I think it does feel like he's been around quite some time. I think he's been here now since the pandemic. I think they hired him. I think he was supposed to be on the staff in 2020. I think that's when he came back. But uh, I mean, he's been around the block. I mean, as long as he's not the offensive coordinator, I'm kind of okay with it. Although yeah, <laughs> we'll have to see how the offensive. I, the thing the, with, did he step in? Did he step in in one game? He did. And he, he stepped the in for the game against Saskatchewan. Yeah. When Milanovic took off. And yeah, the offense hummed in that one, but they were playing a Riders team that had fucking given up. So yeah, true. I mean, I'm not going to. He's gonna, probably rubbing his hands together, just salivating over the talent that they're bringing in for the offensive line. So good for him. Well, that's it too. Like what I, the way I want to judge him or any of these coaches is guys can stay healthy. It's really hard to judge a positional coach and whether they're good or not. If the unit they're overseeing guys getting hurt all the time. So if the offensive line can stay healthy and they can put together a decent run here, then obviously it would be a, a great retention here. All right, moving on free agency opens in less than a week, but we are right in the middle of that. I don't know. What's the league calling? I think that they put out some video. What was it like the communication window or something like that? Yeah. I think they called it. We call, we colloquially call it. It's the tampering period. It's where pending free agents can actually speak with other teams and they can do so legally and they can agree to deals, but nothing can be officially announced until next week. A ton of that has happened today. We're recording this on Tuesday, but we are going to table that discussion. Mike and I are going to be doing a kind of, post early free agency show. I think we're going to do it next Thursday or Friday. And by then all these deals will be official. And then we could talk about it because until things are official, they're not official. And I know that sounds like a Yogi Berraism, but it's true. As people might recall, Alden Darby was going to the Ottawa Red Blacks. We had seen the headlines. Alden Darby agrees to deal with the Ottawa Red Blacks and changed his mind and came to Hamilton. So things can change during this window. Teams can get these offers, take them to their old team, say, this is what so-and-so is offering me. So I know everyone's excited about some of the moves today. I'm excited about some of them as well. So we're not going to talk about the Brandon Barlow or the Jamal Peters or the Dwayne Hendricks signings, potential signings tonight. We're going to deal with those the next time we get together, which should be, like I said, I think either next Thursday or next Friday after a couple of days of settle on free agency. So we're going to leave that for now. So I know if you're listening to this, hoping we'll talk about that. Unfortunately, we're not. Sorry. Come back next week and you'll get to hear all our thoughts on that. I think we're both very excited about the moves the team has made so far, but that's next week's discussion. What we're going to do instead is we're going to pick up where we left off last week 
and we're going to talk about the offensive and special teams free agents, mostly for the Ticats, but then we're going to get into some league talk here too. Hamilton has about a dozen pending free agents on that side of the ball. Interestingly enough, none of them, from what I've seen, have been linked to any new teams. So I don't know if that means they're staying in Hamilton or there's not interest in them. But anyway, amongst those guys, we have Matthew Schiltz, the quarterback, running back Sean Thomas Erlington, Tim White and Terry Godwin at receiver, and a pair of Canadian offensive linemen in Kyle Saxon and Chris Van Zyl. There's some more there as well. The team did ink both Mark Leggio and Kari Vedvik to new deals on Monday, but they are still in need of a return man after Tyreek McAllister signed with the Raiders last month. So out of all these offensive players in the team, this dozen or so offensive guys, because we don't really have any special teams guys hitting the market now, which which ones, you know, handful, couple, three or four, do you really want to see the Ticats try to bring back? Who do you want to see from this group back in black and gold in 2024, Mike? Well, number one is Tim White, and I think that's at the top of every Ticats fan's list. Um, you know, he see, put one, up, So he, one, one signing we can talk about that is official, Dalton Schoen re-upped with Winnipeg. He has, he has signed that contract because he was the yeah. farmer to make that official. Tim White's now the only, in my opinion, legit number one receiver on the market. And Hamilton needs weapons for Bo Levi Mitchell. So I, I here's the thing. We're, we can kind of go back and forth here because I think our guys are going to be the same, quite honestly. I think we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at receivers here because that's what this team needs. They need weapons for Bo, do they not? Like, you bring him back. Absolutely. I mean, the offensive him. line is solid. Uh, I'm not worried about the running backs. The quarterbacks are set. We need receivers. There's, yeah. there's no denying it. So Tim White's got to be at the top. Yeah, Tim White was absolutely at, absolutely at some of this. Anyone else? Uh, I like Terry Godwin. I think that yep. bringing him back would be beneficial. Uh, Herji Mayala, I think, for a depth signing, uh, would be good as a backup for the Canadian receiver position. And then uh, Sean Thomas Erlington. I think the guy is still capable of you know being a rotation guy. Then right, he showed it last year, especially late in the season, that he can still get yards on the field. So uh, for him and Butler, I think that would be a good combination. And then I don't think he's going to be back, but I'd like to see Riley back at the uh, tackle position. And they've already probably spent all the money they're going to spend, I know, on the O-line. But just to have him as like a, a depth player, because we know the offensive line gets injured quite a bit, I think would be great. But I, I don't actually think he's going to be brought back. Yeah, I don't think he's coming back either. Terry Godwin's another guy on my list. And I did, I, it's the same with Canadian receiver. Like, that's what I said, where I thought our, our list would be the same here. Because it is really just get weapons on offense, quite frankly. Like you said, the offensive line is set. So, yeah, I, like I think Chris Van Zyl is going to announce his retirement at some point. Like he's turning 41 this year. Like I just don't see him continuing to play, quite frankly. Kyle Saxlid is a guy who I, we both had really high hopes for when the team traded for him a couple of years ago. But yeah, he just can't stay healthy. And I'm not going to pay a depth Canadian, especially when they, the, the Canadian – with, with what this team did, and we talked about it last week by trading for Jordan Williams, this team's kind of set up its ratio in the way that they're only going to start three Canadians on the offensive line. You don't need that high-priced right tackle Canadian anymore. You can go with an American guy. Now, they're paying Jordan Murray a decent amount, so it's not like they're going cheap there, but I'm sure Jordan Murray is going to make less than what a Canadian would make playing that spot. Like Chris Van Zyl at one point was the highest-paid offensive lineman in the league because he was a ratio-breaking tackle. So they're getting away from that. I'd like to see Sean Thomas Erlington back. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen, but Tyler Chanowski is another guy where it's like, if he could stay healthy, I'd want him here. But with Keandre Smith being likely the only Canadian starting receiver, 
you do need a backup there. I don't know if Mayala would would take that role. Turnowski might, Hamilton guy, local kid. Maybe he's more amenable to staying on a cheaper contract than Mayala, who probably sees himself as a starter. But it's really just bring back your weapons. Like this team, like we mentioned the Dalton Schoen thing, you kind of look around the league now, and what the Ticats lack is a number one receiver, and Tim White is at the tippy top of that list now that Dalton Schoen is not an option. And honestly, I probably would have taken Tim White over Dalton Schoen anyway. Um, not That's not a knock on Dalton Schoen. I just I don't know what he's going to look like outside of that Winnipeg bubble, whereas I know what Tim White can do in Hamilton in a Scott Milanovic offense. Look at his numbers from last year. They went nuts after Milanovic brought him in or after Milanovic came in and he was used extensively led the league in receiving with a vast majority of those yards coming in the final 10 games of the season when Milanovic was calling plays. So I like, and any even sat out a game, if you recall, he didn't play in the season finale against the Alouettes. So I really like Tim white to come back. It's really, in my opinion, the only option this team really has at receiver. We can kind of fold this into the next question is, it's receiver and returner where this team needs to find guys, right? And if you look out there, not a whole heck of a lot to really be had. So is there is there any other spot on offense or on special teams or you think this team needs reinforcements or are you with me? It's receiver and, and the return game. Receiver and the return game, man. Uh, nothing on the offensive side of the ball or, you know, on special teams I can really think of that they need dramatic improvements. Yeah, like I don't love Vedvik as a punter. But no. yeah, I'm not going. Yeah. To, I'm not going out and signing another punter. Like, no, just and go, I think a returner you can find a returner too. Like, I don't sure. think you have to oh, sign yeah, a guy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Like, Janarian Grant's still out there as a returner, but I'm not spending. Like, I like again, it's not official, but Javon Leak signed with the Elks, and his contract was like 125,000. I'm not spending that on a return guy that I'm just using on special teams. If I can find a guy off the street, which the Ticats again have been able to do, like. We talk about, oh, they had these great returners, but they weren't known commodities when they came to this league. They became something here. This is a team that can find return guys. I'm not spending big money in free agency on one. Mm-hmm. What about, so we both want Tim White back. I think we both like Terry Godwin back, but I would understand if Terry Godwin gets a chance to be a high-end number two somewhere else and get paid like as such. Is there any receivers out there that you would like them to bring in from other teams? Like, Can you see someone who you think would fit in with this offense? It's pretty thin pickings out there, Josh. I mean, I was looking. No through shit. This it list. was Tim White and Dalton Schoen, and that was about it. I mean, Co- Coxy from Toronto. Yeah. Um, he has some potential there. He's he's a pretty good player. A guy that's like past his prime, Greg Ellingson. You know, these are like the only guys I could really come up with, and I'm not really enamored, especially without uh, Greg Ellingson. Oh um, yeah, I, I I think Greg Ellingson's career. Like, I don't think he's going. I think he's done. No. Yeah, I think so too. He was great receiver. Good career. And, yeah, I think it's over for him. But Coxie is like basically the only guy that I look at and be like, okay, that could be pretty good. Do you have anybody? I, I had him and I had Rashid Bailey. And Rashid Bailey is one of those guys who, if you're going to bring in Rashid Bailey, sign Terry Godwin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like same style of receiver. You know Godwin can work in this offense. Again, Godwin's numbers kind of picked up when Milanovic took over. They've made a ton of signings of of young receivers. And that, that's the thing too is – if they get one of those guys, like I'm not saying they have to sign both, but if they get one of those guys, preferably Tim White, no offense to Terry Goblin, but we know Tim White can be the go-to guy, then I'm fine with them filling out the rest of the the receiving core with youth. Because there's one thing this team has mm-hmm. done well. It's find young American receivers. 
Tim White, we didn't know who he was three years ago. We didn't know who Terry Godwin was two years ago. Then they come into the team. They get a chance to get their feet wet, and they become the players they become. But you still need to have that veteran guy because when Tim White came in, they still had Speedy B. So then Speedy B kind of fell off, and then Tim White took that role. You know what I mean? And then when Speedy B and, like, Luke Tasker were coming in, they still had Andy Fan twos. And it's like you you still need that veteran presence to usher in the new era, but I don't have a hard, I don't have a problem with this team not going out and spending big money at receivers. If they land one legitimate guy, if they decide Terry Godwin or Tim white is our guy again, preferably Tim white, then I don't think there's really a need to go get a coaxy or a Bailey or a guy like that, because you're right. You look at the receiving market. It's to me, it's a lot of number twos and I don't like paying number one salary for number two players. You know what I mean? Like your a plus players. I got no problem with teams allocating resources there like for instance we're not just briefly but we're not gonna talk about this in full jamal peters is coming to hamilton and he's the highest paid he's gonna be the highest paid defensive back in the cfl next year i've got no problem with a team going out and spending a plus money for a plus talent but if you're telling me they went out and they signed you know i'm trying to like i'm trying to think of a like winston rose good player but am i paying him top of the market money I don't think so. You know what I mean? So I, you look at these other receivers that are available and I see a lot of good complimentary pieces, but I don't see a number one guy outside of Tim white. Yeah. So to me, you pay Tim white and you kind of roll the dice elsewhere. What if they don't get Tim white? Like that's going to be, that's like, that, that's the scary. That's the scary. Thing. Yeah, man. Like that's they only one have a number one. I mean, Terry Godwin is the number one receiver. That is, so they got to sign Tim white. Like they have to, because there's no one else out there that they can really bring in and be the number one guy. So you're right, man. Like Coxie would be great to bring in as a complimentary piece, but I don't think he can be the number one receiver. And you look at some of the younger guys, um, Omar Bayless, a lot of potential, Justin McGriff, a lot of potential, but I don't think they can step in and be the number one guy right away. So they better buckle down and, and, uh, and I think they will, I think they will get Tim white back, but yeah, they better make it happen. Well, if you look around the league, like, do you want Lucky Whitehead as your number one receiver? Like, I like him as a player. He could also add to the return game, but he's a little bit older. He hasn't really been a number one anywhere. Again, more of a complimentary piece. But if you look around, this is where I think I think the Ticats have a good chance of, of retaining Tim White. Is you look around the league, and where's the team that's going to spend a second big— because he's going to get big money. He might end up being the highest paid receiver in the in the CFL. BC's already spent a ton of money at receiver— Calgary doesn't spend money, but they already have some receivers there. Bagleton, guys like that. Um, Malik Henry. Edmonton's receiving core. They already got Geno Lewis. You look at Winnipeg, they just signed Sean. Uh, Saskatchewan went out and gave Sean Bain a bunch of money. Toronto has DeVaris Daniels, who they gave a bunch of money to. Ottawa's paying Jalen Acklin a bunch of money. They just re-signed Braylon Addison again. Probably not for a lot, but enough where it would probably negate going after Tim White. Although, he is an ex-Ticat, at, at, so... Landing in Ottawa would always be a possibility. And then you look at Montreal, and I just don't see them. I, they lost Austin Mack, so maybe they're a team that could be in the market for a number one receiver. But I haven't really heard – I haven't really heard anything about Tim White at all, which leads me no. to kind of think that maybe he's leaning towards staying. But there's not a ton of landing spots for him, in my opinion. So it's like – like cause I remember when I saw someone ask Farhan if – oh, the Ticats are in on Dalton Schoen and in on Tim White. And someone's like, oh, it'd be great if they got both. And he was basically like, you're not getting both. You get one or the other. So 
it's the same around the league. Like if teams are already paying $150,000, $200,000 for a receiver, you're not bringing in another one at that price. So I do like the odds of Tim White landing here. Of course, I say that now. We'll finish recording and we'll find out that he has agreed to terms with the Red Blacks or something. So I don't know. You're right, though. If they don't get Tim White, I I, I think I'm higher on Terry Godwin than you. I don't know if that would be – I don't think I'd have a huge – I'd be concerned if he's the number one guy. But if I would have told you two years ago that Tim White was the number one guy, you would have been concerned. So sometimes guys just need an opportunity, you know? Yeah, that's that's fair enough. But um, it's scary though. It's, it's definitely it's it is, definitely it is. scary it, if they don't yeah. bring Tim White back because then we're going into the season and receiver is a huge huge question mark. Although Scott Milanovic in Toronto didn't really ha- after Chad Owens kind of fell off, he did bring in those. Remember when he had it was Gurley, Hazelton, and Elliott, and for a season there before they all became <laughs> headaches. Was pretty good unit there of all young like first year guys that the Argos were a pretty decent team in 2015. I think they went I think they won 10 games. So maybe he can make it work. Maybe his offense is kind of receiver ready. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. But I it's one of those things where I hope next week we're talking about Tim White back in the tie catch uniform and not having to come up with the doomsday scenario of okay who's going to be the number one receiver for this team because that is a scary proposition. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like I I like Terry Godwin as well, but he just hasn't. And he has not the opportunity, like you said, but Tim White is is a guy that has shown uh, throughout the last two seasons that he can be that number one target and put up those big numbers. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that Tim White is back in black and gold. All right. So one last free agency thing we're going to talk about today is we've gone over both the offense and the defense. We've looked at who we want the Ticats to bring back. We've looked at who we maybe want the Ticats to bring in, what kind of positions they have needs at. We've gone over all that. So out of all the players still available, we'll we'll discount the ones that have unofficially signed with new teams. So you can't have AJ Ouellette. You can't have Jameer Thurman back, unfortunately. You can't have – so all those guys, they're, they're elsewhere. Name me three players from across the league, including the Ticats, that you want to see wearing black and gold in 2024 and the reason why. Well, I'm going to stick with, with our team um, because there's just – offensively there's not guys that uh, really intrigue me on the market so i'm going to go tim white yep. terry godwin and herji mayala just because um and mayala like you said it might be a long shot to get him in that backup role as the canadian but uh, i still like to have him come back he's a taller receiver that might work well in a Molanovic offense so i'm going with white godwin and mayala just because we're so you know I don't want to say thin, but uh, it's a little bit of a concerning uh, uh, position right now. So I bring those three guys back. All right. Tim White's the top of my list, just like yours. So we And we just talked about him for a bunch. We don't have to talk about him again. I think I'm, – I'm, I can't decide between Rashid Bailey and Terry Godwin. Like I feel like whichever one you can get for less because they're so similar is the one that I would want. So I kind of copped out and they're both of them. But I did go outside for my last pick, and this might be a little – I won't say – not controversial. It's not surprising. I want Jackson Jeffcoat. They, this team still needs defensive end help, and I thought, oh, you know, they've unofficially signed Brandon Barlow, which was I think is a great pickup. And, again, I know people are like, well, why don't you talk about it now? We'll talk about it next week, guys. Don't worry. But why not bookend him with Jackson Jeffcoat? 
not, I haven't heard a peep about him at all today. Haven't heard a peep about anything. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a guy you bring in on a one-year deal. I know he's a little bit older, but maybe you see if he still has some left in the tank. Put him opposite a young, hungry player like Barlow. Maybe you get a little better at the defensive emphasis because that was the one area, one of the areas of this team, but maybe the biggest area of concern with this team last year. We went into the season thinking, oh, man, oh, man, this team's going to run roughshod with this defensive line, and they were not good. So... That's I I like Jamal Davis is still out there. He'd be good to bring bring back. For, he came in here late in the season, but I just think you know with the the championship pedigree that he brings, I think Jackson Jeffcoat would be a really good addition to this team. And you would be taking away from the bomber. Like one of the reasons I'm so excited about all the moves the Ticats made so far is they're stealing players from the Argos. They're making their their competition worse. Taking a Jackson Jeffcoat, that leadership ability from the Bombers would not just make the Ticats better, but would also make the Bombers worse. And I think that also helps as well. Yeah, and I think that Jackson Jeffcoat's, uh, not his reputation, but I, I I just think that he's had injuries over the years, and I think you could mm-hmm. get him for a really good price on a one-year contract. And it could be, you know, really beneficial if he still has that same, he's probably 32 or 33 now, but if you can get another year out of him at that top-end um, talent level, then I think it would be well worth it. Yeah, and I haven't heard anything about, like, <clears throat> laziness from him versus what I had heard about, say, Jagarrett Davis in the past, where it's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I don't think you bring in a veteran of that age and, and he's going to coast. I think he's still hungry to show that he can be a top-end player. I think, like you said, he's had injuries. And, yeah, it's always a concern when you when you bring in guys that have had, especially veteran guys who have had injuries in the past. But I just feel like they need they do need an upgrade. And I know the, the Matthew Betts rumors are out there. I I just feel as if as great as that would be, I think you can get if you can get you know three quarters of the production for half the price, mm-hmm. I, which I think you can get from Jackson Jeffcoat. I think you bring in someone like that versus bringing in Matthew Betts, who's a great player, no doubt. But I just think of the price tag associated with that, and then then we got to talk about ratio stuff, and it gets weird. You know what I mean, like. Now you're starting eight Canadians, or you're not starting a defensive tackle now, and you're trading in a a starting Canadian who can start a defensive tackle on a rookie contract for a veteran Canadian who's starting a defensive end on a really pricey. It's it's those type of equations that you kind of have to take into account when you're thinking about building a roster. I know a lot of people want Matthew Betts, mm-hmm. um, but I think you can get Jackson Jeffco for for cheaper, and and you you it's not the fault. And I do wonder if Betts was a product of an excellent system. In BC, it was a it was a defensive line that was built to get after the quarterback, and was he just the recipient of the other guys? I, I like I just don't know. I I just I'm very cautious when it comes to paying big money to guys who have career years and contract years. You know? Yeah, and you're right. It was just the one year. It's not like he put up gaudy numbers the year before. We could see like a, you know, he got better and better. But yeah, it's a, he is a one year wonder at this point in time, and we don't know if that's going to be a sustained success. For the years to come and you're gonna have to pay a lot of money to get him he's gonna be a hot commodity on the market so i mean i would not be against bringing in a guy like jeff Coat. all right one last thing we got to talk about a little bit about simone lawrence of it all so jameer thurman looks like he's on his way to saskatchewan ben halatic has officially re-signed with the bc lions and who was the other micah Alway looks like he's staying in calgary Larry Dean's still available, but I'm of the opinion, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. 
if you're moving on from Simone, you're moving on from someone younger. You're not moving yes. on from somebody who's six months older than him. No, no. He's the, the, with, with the injury troubles that, you know, I know that Larry Dean had a really strong comeback here last year, but he also blew his knee a couple of years ago. So, I mean, if you're going to go with an older guy, um, then you might as well go with Simone Lawrence, a guy that's beloved within the fan base and played really well last year. And you still have Kyle Wilson, but he tore his Achilles last September, so I doubt he's going to be ready for the start of the year. Do the Ticats have any other option to bring him back now? Like, I just, I don't see, you go look at the pending free agent linebackers, show me the one that's a considerable upgrade and younger, and I'll, 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 I'll agree with you, but I mm-hmm. looked and I didn't see it. So no. there's, there's, to me, that it's, it's, he's got to come back now. Yeah, with Jameer Thurman now <clears throat> reportedly out of the picture, I mean, you you, you got to bring this guy back. You just have to. It's uh, it's kind of like a, the receivers thing, right? I mean, there's not a lot of names out there, so what's the point? You might as well uh, keep Simone for another year or two and uh, and ride him out. I mean, he, if he plays the rest of his career as a tight end, I'd be pretty happy. So what do you think this team has to do between now and free agency and the opening of free agency? Like, where are your spots that you like are there are there one or two positions where you're like this is where the team needs to needs to acquire guys or make sure like we we both agree on receiver is there anywhere else that you think this team needs needs to find somebody yeah i think uh we talked about the defensive ends i think you still need to bring in one more guy um whether that be bringing back a guy like jamal davis or finding someone on the open market that needs to improve and then um, depending on what happens within the secondary, like you know, mentioned to Mal Peters, and that would be a huge upgrade, and that's probably going to happen. Um, even bringing in another guy in the secondary, I think, uh, to push some of these younger guys would be a good addition. But other than that, I mean, the offensive line is set. The running backs are good. The quarterbacks are good. Uh, you know, the linebackers are going to play out how they play out. But the secondary and the defensive ends are uh, definitely on the defense, and we mentioned the receivers earlier. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to talk about maybe maybe in a few weeks time we'll we'll dig into I know our buddy Troy um who for, speaking of congratulations to Troy for getting the gig over at 3 down. Mm-hmm. Uh great he wonderful football mind. He's going to do a great job there. Really excited to see what he what content he produces there. But he put out it's funny he I had had the same idea. He put out his like kind of early depth chart for the Ticats taking away all their pending free agents. And I was literally, as I saw it on online, I was literally on my iPad putting together my own. I was like, well, to hell with this, I guess someone else already done it. It's basically the same as mine. Anyway, no point doing this now. And I just went back to watching television. A couple weeks, like after kind of the free agent dust settles, really kind of interested to kind of get, get together and maybe put together an early, a way too early depth chart because I got some, maybe some wild ideas on who like the Sam linebacker could be. Cause like now that Darius Pickett is actually, he's officially off the market because the Argos released him so that he could sign with Ottawa. So he's, he's, he is a red black. There's none others. Like maybe you go get Derek Moncrief. If you still think he's got some gas to tank, but if this team goes, especially now that Jamal Peters is reportedly coming to Hamilton, what do you do with Kenneth George jr? Does he go to, where does he fit in the secondary? If he, where does JV net? Like, the moving pieces now that players are coming in unofficially, that is right now, after we kind of get the official stuff out of the way next week, a couple weeks after that, I'm really kind of fun little thought experiment to kind of put together what this team could look like 
as like maybe maybe not necessarily a full lineup, but at least a starting lineup. And then it would also help us address kind of where this team might have some question marks heading into the draft and then late free agency. And then, of course, going into training camp, because it's a uh, it's it's a it's a good I think as of right now and with the reported signings, a pretty decent mix of veterans and young guys. And I know a lot of people were down on the secondary, so to speak. But I think playing those guys last year. Well, they should be presumably better in year two than they were in year one. They got that experience last year. So I think that there's some bodies back there that can really step up this season. It's it's a really interesting time, but we have to kind of wait until sort of the dust settles on free agency before we can do anything like that. But it's I think it's going to be – it was a busy Tuesday. I think it's going to be a busy week. And then when you and I get together next week, a couple of days after the market officially opens, I think we're going to have quite a bit to talk about. And, and it's – uh it's been fun watching, you know, the Riders fans get excited because they got a bunch of guys, and Ticap fans are excited, and Argo fans are miserable, and mm-hmm. you know, Stamp fans are not pay, they're not t- partaking because their team never signs free agents, and Bombers fans are happy because they paid half a million dollars for two players. So it's kind of real neat. This this is the fun part of the season because everyone thinks that their team, everyone thinks their teams won the Great Cup at this time of year, do they not? And then. We get to the season, it's like, oh, well, we really overrated this, didn't we? And then that's mm-hmm. that's when you get to the depressing part of the season. But right now, hope springs eternal. Yeah, I mean, we've been wrong about, um, you know, rosters before. So I'm a little cautious to get too excited about who the Tiger Cats are bringing in in the offseason. But, um, you know, so far, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited uh, with some of the guys that they're rumored to have been brought in. So, you know, we'll wait and see. All right, so as I said earlier, I think we'll be back next week. Later in the week, normally we drop these episodes on Wednesdays, but I think we're probably going to be aiming for maybe a Friday drop or a Saturday drop. Gives gives the market a chance to actually occur, gives the team. I, I mean, as we saw last year, there's like kind of waves of these signings. Remember the Ticats signed a bunch of guys on Wednesday and then a bunch of guys on Thursday, and then they saved like the Simone signing for midday on Friday to get, you know, so these things come in kind of bunches. So giving it a couple days to sit instead of coming back at a normal when if we we would record on Tuesday for a Wednesday drop, and it's like we're we'd still be like you and I would be furiously refreshing Twitter to get the latest news to be like, oh, so and so's now signed, oh, so and so's now signed, oh, so you know what I mean. So it's uh. It's better to kind of let it play out, don't you think? And then kind of come back on. Yeah, there's still going to be moves that are going to be made after we record or even during our, our recording. But all the big ones should happen by then. We can kind of have a discussion about what the Ticats did and then kind of look at the league at large for really the first time in 2024 and kind of maybe give a little bit of an idea of where teams might stand heading into the start of the season. But as we got to remember, last year at this time, the Alouettes were in disarray. And then and eight won the months later, <laughs> yeah. they won the Great yeah. Cup. So. Everyone, you can be as high as you want or as low as you want at this time of year. It never matters until the games are played, but doesn't make it any less fun. So until next time, that has been Pod Scooby for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.